Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief. I am joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo, Senior Business Reporter Rachel Sapin, and Correspondent John Evans. Well, there's no question of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, It has been a full week of watching the tragedy in Ukraine unfold. Uh, only just over a week since Russia invaded that country. And uh, the implications on the human scale, of course, have been, uh, been just beyond, uh, beyond unimaginable. Uh, but of course, we uh, were journalists covering the seafood sector, and there have been many, many major implications that are shaping up for this industry, um, not least for uh, just global trade, but also as Russia faces all these sanctions and all this punishment for its, uh, its actions across the world, that will likely have impacts on some of the most important seafood uh, that makes its way to consumers' plates. So um, let's go ahead and start discussing uh, what we know, what we've written about, It's just been a hectic, chaotic week. We've hit it from every single side. Um, John Fiorillo, why don't we start with you? Um, And and why don't we kick off the discussions uh, about the sanctions and uh, and how uh, how this is already impacting, in particular, the Pollock uh, and Cod, the whitefish sector, and what still uh, unknowns uh, could be to come. Yeah, well, obviously Pollock and Cod are big players in this because Russia is is a big player in both of them. Um, yeah, we don't, you know, we there there are no direct bans on um, buying Russian origin product. Most of it goes through China and gets reprocessed. And um, in the U.S., for example. That product is sold through um, retail um, breaded fish brands, uh, Mrs. Paul's and Vandekamp's, and at least uh, one major seafood restaurant chain, that being Captain D's, also has traditionally used the product as well. So uh, no direct word as far as them immediately changing their behavior. Um, uh, ConAgra, which owns the retail brands, uh, told us they were, you know, keeping up on it, look, watching it, and will move accordingly to uh, government um, decisions. So, um, but uh, what is happening on the fishing grounds in Russia appears to be that because of the collapse of the ruble and the sanctions on the banking system over there, that the ability to get paid for, um, to finance, operations is is eroded uh from what we can tell significantly to the point that it's crippling so how realistic uh i mean obviously this is the question on the entire world's mind so i don't expect you to know the answer to that rachel (laughs) but let's just talk about um uh, let me phrase it another way what 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 types of pressure is building in the U.S. for these sanctions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's quite a bit of pressure um, for seafood companies on both the West and East Coast of the United States to 
uh, sanction uh, Russian seafood imports, and lawmakers are even looking to ban Russian seafood imports. Um, part of their reasoning there, um, these are Alaska lawmakers, uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski and Dan Sullivan, uh, they say that Russia has imported, uh, sorry, has banned um, U.S. seafood food imports uh, since 2014. And I believe that's tied to what happened in Crimea um, with that. So, uh, yeah, they say it's, it's been a long time coming. And obviously there are all the human rights violations going on right now. And even companies on the East Coast um, who do import uh, the majority of Russian uh, pollock that comes into the U.S. are increasingly um, agreeing that they are okay taking the financial hit and they would like to see the U.S. Um, yeah, put sanctions on on Russian imports, uh, Pollock in particular, at this point. Now, you know, there, there's been in the U.S. at least the the main species that become affected by any sort of ban on this would be uh, crab species. A lot of Russian crab gets imported into the U.S. A lot of Russian uh, Pollock and cod, uh, as you mentioned, John, imported into the U.S. There are incentives, obviously. Um, this isn't simply a, a moral issue necessarily for some of these companies, or at least it may be. But let's also make sure that we highlight there, there is an, an economic benefit to uh, Russian seafood not appearing on the, on the U.S. market for uh, many U.S. companies. Um, so that's, that's kind of important, I think, to note. But um, John Evans, you uh, spoke to some analysts about Highliner. Highliner is a major Canadian processing company, uh, and they um, certainly purchase Russian fish. Um, and they, as a public company, um, I'm sure have gotten a lot of questions and pressure from shareholders. And um, just in general, Canada has taken a very strong stance against the, uh, the Russian invasion. So... What, what were the analysts telling you about the position Highliner is, is put in um, right now? Yeah, I mean, like Highliner, uh, not that many analysts were talking, uh, including BMO Capital Markets, but they did, put out a, um, they did put out a note to investors late on uh, Wednesday, and uh, BMO calculates that at the end of uh, 2021, uh, Highliner held inventory uh, spanning 166 days worth of purchasing, meaning they'd be covered for the next several quarters. But um, at the same time, they warned if the current global geopolitical situation continues, there could be uh, disruption to the global supply chain for key, key species such as cod and pollock, uh, Pacific cod and pollock. And um, a, a second analyst um, said that, you know, that down the road, also, it's going to be a problem for them. Um, uh, his exact words were, it's, it is an issue sure for sure for them. So, yeah, um, they may be all right for now. I suppose it, it depends, um, Drew, how long the, the conflict, which uh, when, uh, as, a, as a journalist in Russia, uh, we were just discussing before we came onto the podcast, you're not allowed to use the word co uh, conflict or war, but... It depends how long the, the conflict um, goes on for. Right. And it, it, it's, you know, replacing 
Russian Pollock, which is a massive, massive resource. It's a, a massive, uh, a massive supplier of uh, of what ends up in fish fingers uh, slash fish sticks and uh, all kinds of products across the world, especially in Europe and the United States. Um, it will create uh, absolute chaos uh, from a from a supply perspective for this fish. Um, if that fish cannot be imported into any major country, uh, it'll stay on the domestic Russian market. Um, that may be a part of what uh, Putin's government has been um, angling for to ensure that Russia is self-sufficient. Um, in fact, I know that's that's part of what he's been angling for. And uh, I know that Russian um, Russian efforts to export uh, fish outside of Russia um, isn't always looked at favorably. Um, at least I think that the, the goal for the government would be to keep that product on the market. But there are so many challenges with logistics in getting, uh, getting Russian fish to uh, Russian people. It's not a fish that people are uh, particularly fond of eating in Russia. It's not really a traditional uh, fish to be consumed. So it's not like the Russian companies can easily switch and find, you know, just domestic markets for it. Likewise, Rachel, you talked to your sources in the Alaska Pollock uh, sector on the U.S. side, and it's not like they can run in and fill the void either. No, yeah, they are pretty stretched already. Um, they are making up this year um, in terms of processing. They've been catching up on um, processing their more um, popular products like deep skin and, and PPO fillets, but they're just getting caught up. They have lots of customers in the U.S. and global, globally who want um, that product. And I was speaking with um, one of the major processors in Alaska who said, you know, they don't, even if uh, some European countries want Pollock, you know, they already have contracts and commitments with other customers that they can't really um, break. And on top of that, um, you know, this is just going to send already um, high Pollock prices, even higher, which, you know, is just a little worrisome to some of the producers because, you know, it means maybe European customers might turn to other whitefish um, because, you know, most consumers still kind of just look at fish sticks as whitefish in general, which can be a lot of other types of fish than Pollock. You know, along those lines, Drew, I, well, this isn't scientific because I just looked at it a little bit this morning, but um, Lent has begun in the U.S. and and it's all, always a big time for, you know, whitefish sandwiches at fast food restaurants um, and just in general, right? Um, so I'm noticing this year, and I don't, it's it, it's not related to Russia uh, per se. It might be related to what Rachel just referred to as you know the the tighter supply and and the higher prices in Pollock generally uh, right now. But uh, you're not you're not seeing Pollock as much in these promotions. I'm noticing a lot of shrimp, which would make sense because shrimp's uh, affordable right now. So it it just struck me as Huh. It's probably something I'll look into next week a little bit more. But um, I think, you know, what Rachel was saying is the prices already 
driving some buyers to look at alternatives, um, particularly in this Lenten season when they usually buy a lot. Right. And I mean, we're, we're also, when you're speaking of, of price inflation, and maybe that does have the, the supply availability, John may have something to do with, with the, the kinds of fish they're using in promotions. But speaking of inflation and, and price inflation, John, um, John Evans, shipping now, which has already been um, so expensive and so challenging, it's uh, it's going to further pressure uh, 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 raw material prices because already the invasion has led to plenty of hiccups and the sanctions have led to uh, major liners like Maersk and Hapag Lloyd and, uh, and MSC saying they will not uh, ship to and from Russia. So far, they, uh, that, the, the exception has been um, food. But um, our colleagues at Tradewinds uh, just reported a story that, um, that we'll be picking up as well, uh, that Maersk is now concerned that some of the food supplies that they're carrying to and from Russia could even spoil because of these delays. Yeah, and, I just, and I've just done um, some calculations on the back of an envelope. Um, and looking at the oil price um, before... Putin's, uh, the, the invasion which Vladimir uh, Putin ordered on the 23rd of February. Um, since then, uh, oil prices have risen 22.6% by my calculations. So, um, I mean, the, the shipping companies are saying now that they're going to add, uh, I can't remember the term exactly uh, what, what it is. It's uh, got the word bunker in it. But anyway, um, this, uh, they're going to, these new surcharges that they're going to add are because of a rise and um, fluctuating um, fuel costs, as they put it. So 22.5% um, seems like a, a very uh, steep rise to me in, in such a short time. And as you say, all of this will have to be factored into uh, prices. And then as uh, Nomad were talking about in their, uh, uh, press conference in in the last few days, uh, or the the investor call in the last few days, um, you know, it'll have to pass on consumers, and they're they're talking about passing it on in a scattered way because they didn't want to do it all in one go. Yeah, well, that's going to be uh, I think the big challenge everyone is is going to have to face is already there was so much inflation, and already um, uh, everyone is paying more for their food and fuel and everything. Um, so there, there has to be some, some real fears, like you said, Rachel, that, um, at some point consumers say, I'm going to switch over to X, Y, or, or Z product, but I don't know what that would be because everything is, is, uh, is on the, on the rise. It seems, uh, I'll just note too, John, speaking of Nomad and, um, and, uh, and Young's, uh, Nomad owns Birdseye and Igloo. Um, so between those two companies, you have a big chunk of the frozen fish that's sold in uh, in the, the EU and the United Kingdom. Um, but neither one has quite come out and said they will not purchase Russian fish, correct? Although Nomad said they have some plans. Yeah, and I mean, uh, they, Nomad said during that, their call that they had uh, already uh, made uh, preparations and they could switch to wild caught or farmed alternatives and that they could um, amend the, the formulas for their, their recipes. So, 
I wouldn't say they sounded relaxed about it, but they they, they were certainly um, trying to calm the waters a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting. I mean, I, I just put this kind of as an open question to, to uh, all of you. Um, what what are we to make of all these companies coming out and calling for uh, for sanctions? Should more companies be doing it? Um, you know, again, as I as I mentioned too, it does end up punishing um, in some ways Putin, and it certainly every little bit I think ratchets up the pressure, uh, which I see as a is generally a positive thing, but. You know what? What are we to make of the company's responsibilities to come out and uh, and say something? Um, if they don't, is that a moral failing, or is that just a um, you know uh, up to them? Um, yeah, I don't know. Rachel, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I definitely just like personally, you know, I kind of think, and it was a totally different situation, but I think to like COVID and you know the rumors swirling around that coming out of China and how you know, Chinese Americans in the U.S. were feeling the effects of that and feeling racism and xenophobia. And I just always worry if we get to like, oh, all Russians are bad, we could see that spilling over, you know, into um, Russians that you are very likely anti-Putin in the U.S., you know, that don't deserve, you know, all of our hatred that builds up on social media. So, yeah, I always kind of worry about that part of it that you know it's like we can get really um zealous really fast and um a lot of that can turn into a really unnecessary uh xenophobia and racism um so i I think that is a concern um not sure (laughs) really uh what else i could say in terms of a guidance on that at this point but it's just come out come up for sure as a concern in my my brain thinking about all this yeah, and on the other side, you know, you have somebody like Keith Decker, who was former C- CEO of a uh, whitefish producer in New Bedford, Blue Harvest, and sits on the board of Pollock Giant American Seafoods, who came out in one of our stories and, and said uh, that, you know, U.S. companies importing fish from Russia should not wait for the U.S. government to take a stand. And he said, we should, you know, immediately stop buying from Russia anything that we're buying because, in his eyes, it's tacit uh, support of Russia. And, um, you know, there's definitely that element of thought on this as well. Um, you know, it, it's a tough question because if a U.S. company does something like that and it affects their operations to the point that they have to lay off, say, U.S. workers, you know, now. Now we have a, you know, trickle, trickle on effect. And so it's a really tough one. But at the same time, you know, we've seen this. um, (laughs) We've seen this before when uh, one nation begins invading others throughout Europe. And um, we know where that's headed. So morally, it's it's a tough one. I I don't have an answer for sure. But, um, you know, I can see Rachel's side. I can see. I can see all sides of this, and it's so sad, no matter which way you look. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's been pretty swift. I mean, I'm just off the top of my head here. We've had uh, Canadian company Icewater Seafoods no longer importing whitefish from Russia. We've had Baca Frost no longer exporting salmon. 
Uh, Chile is now thinking about alternative markets, uh, though I don't think they've uh, individually as companies made decisions yet. But um, John Evans, you can um, uh, speak to that in just a moment. Um, and we also, uh, as you mentioned, Rachel, this whole conglomerate of uh, Massachusetts companies, um, certainly uh, U.S. Co- uh, uh, sorry, uh, West Coast companies. Um, some of them have have come out as well. I mean, there's just been a uh, a lot of companies around the world have uh, are, are making these statements that they won't be uh, doing business with Russia. Um, and so I expect that we will see more, but I also expect um, that there are certainly companies that are really having to calculate this carefully. Some, I think, would prefer to just not talk about it, of course, and sit on the sidelines. Um, but I don't think there's any way that they'll be able to do that, um, in particular when you have this level of outrage. Um, I, I do, you know, I want to talk about uh, Ukrainian people and Ukrainian companies. We've been so um, fortunate to have um, some people in Ukraine that have been willing to talk to us about their uh, the reality on the ground there. Um, I have uh, been very lucky to uh, have gotten to know uh, the GM of, of Polar Seafood Ukraine. Polar Seafood's a Danish uh, uh, seafood company, um, and Polar Seafood Ukraine is a partial subsidiary of theirs. Um, and his name is Nitesh Paul, and uh, he has been uh, so illuminating on the conflict and what it's meant. Um, he is based in Kiev. Um, as we speak, he is headed to the western part of the, com- uh, the country, with 29 members of his staff, their families, and their pets, including his own family. Um, And just kind of over the course of the past week, it's just been um, um, fascinating and and tragic sort of staying in touch with Natasha on a regular basis about what is is happening. And it it does just strike me the the absolute um, resilience and defiance and pride and love for Ukraine, um, he certainly carries that across and has been a, a representative of, of um, I think, what we're seeing everywhere everywhere else. Um, but these companies are essentially um, companies that, that people have spent years, spent their lives building up. They've been, these companies have been their life uh, and they have uh, employees and colleagues that have spent their lives there, spent many years there. They have workers in their warehouses, in their factories. And there is this absolutely devastating economic toll in addition to the, uh, in addition to the, uh, the, the tragic human toll as well. Um, and whether or not Ukraine is able to uh, recover from all this in anytime soon, we don't know how any of this is going to, to play out. But um, but um, it's it's been um, it's been really fascinating to um, to talk to people there on the ground and their experience because it's been this mixed feeling of um, you know the, the as I said the human tragedy of what's happening all around them but also just the the love of what they do the love of the companies that they either founded or worked for or their colleagues that's just been so inspiring and we've seen that. Um, Rachel Sapin and I were looking at a Facebook page uh, just yesterday of some uh, of an Alaska processor that has uh, Ukrainian employees. A lot of Ukrainian uh, workers go uh, around the world for seafood processing jobs, including a lot in Alaska, a lot in Poland. 
And it's, you know, the, the, the little world that we cover, um, it's, it's been this interesting microcosm into just how amazing people can be under the most horrible conditions and the way that they come together and support one another. Um, so it's, uh, it's been a privilege to be able to speak to some of these people and to be able to report on it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think I'll end, the end our podcast there. Uh, we're certainly worried about the sources that we've talked to over there in, in Ukraine. Uh, we uh, know that many of the people that are listening have colleagues there or customers there or suppliers there. Um, certainly you can always reach out to us wherever you are. Um, we're always interested in doing the absolute best job that we can, uh, with our, our journalism, but particularly right now, we know how important it is that, um, that people that want to tell their story or people that, that need a voice, um, do have a place for that. Um, and we're doing our very best to cover all the, the implications and all the, all the different ways that this is, um, is impacting, um, both people's lives and business. So, um, Yes, we're thinking about the folks in Ukraine and hoping all this comes to um, some kind of peaceful resolution. Thanks, everybody. It's the Boston Seafood Show next week. Uh, myself, John Fiorillo, will be there. We're looking forward to seeing you all in person. Despite the global circumstances, um, it will be um, very, very nice uh, to, to see all the colleagues, sources, friends, um, yeah, it's uh, maybe at least a little bit of normalcy in some areas of our lives. So we'll look forward to that. Thanks, everybody.